As you find your seats, I'd ask you to take God's Word in your hands and turn to the book of Matthew, the beginning of the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 19 through 34. And we continue in our series that we've entitled Live to Give, a series that uh, is focused on the subject, the topic uh, of stewardship. And uh, as you're turning to Matthew chapter 6, I want to highlight some of the places that we've been over these uh, first couple weeks. We learned in the first week that stewardship is everything that we do after we say we believe. And so one of the first things that we have uh, come to understand in our study on stewardship is that stewardship doesn't just involve our money, but it involves everything that we say, I'm sorry, everything that we do after we say that we believe. Under that heading, uh, we find work, we find church, we find play, we find uh, what we do with our time, what we do with the talents that we have and the resources that God has given us. And so then the question that comes that we needed to address is, why are we to be stewards? What is the reason for that? And Abraham Kuyper, we learned, spoke of the scope of God's ownership, that we are merely managers of it when he said the following, there's not one square inch within all creation, that Jesus doesn't cry out, this is mine, this belongs to me. If all of our lives involve stewardship, and if everything that we have belongs to our master, Jesus Christ, then why is it then that we fail to be the stewards that God has called us to be? We learned last week that the reason why is the lack of motivation that we have. It was through Peter's words in 1 Peter that we saw that he articulates the truth that the end is near. Now, you may not feel that way on a beautiful fall uh, morning, but the end is near. And Peter says a day of accounting will take place. And what will take place for the believer will not be a judgment on whether or not they're saved, because that has been resolved by the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. But what will be brought to uh, our time of judging will be that which what we, uh, with, with that which we have done in the area of stewardship. What kind of steward have we been? Have we been the wise steward that God has called us to be? Or have we been one of the foolish servants and foolish stewards that God speaks about in his word in the parables of the many stewardship parables that we see? Now sadly, many of us don't take God's word. We don't take Jesus' words to heart. And as a result of that, even though we call ourselves believers, even though we profess faith and trust in Jesus Christ, our life as stewards are ruled out because of the busyness and the things of the world. So instead of doing the work of the master, instead of pleasing him, we find ourselves distracted by the ways of the world. And so the question we have to ask is, as we move forward, is, am I a good steward? We're all stewards. Am I a good steward, not just of the things that I have, but all those things that I have being God's? Am I a good steward of all of God's things? Because God owns everything. Our desire as an elder team was to pursue this topic because it's something that we've missed out on. And we've been dealing with time, talents, treasure, and testimony next week. But in our small groups, we've been addressing other areas of stewardship. Things like how to be wise stewards when it comes to our neighbors and those who are in need. How to be wise stewards this week, we'll learn about our families within the small group context, within the church, And then when it comes to our finances, 
I hope and pray, even though this is going to be a short series, that your life is being changed. That you would truly begin to look at all that you have in your possession and be reminded that it is God's. Well, today we look at those possessions under the heading of the treasures that we have. How to be the good stewards that God has called us to be with the things that we have. So let's look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 uh, through uh, 34. And I'm going to ask that you would stand for the reading of God's word. We'll ask for his blessing on our time and get into the message this morning. Here's Jesus sharing with us on the Sermon on the Mount, and he says the following, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than them? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you, and Lord, we have been reminded of your grace. We've been reminded of your sacrifice. We've been reminded that there is a resurrection coming where we will be put before you, where we will reside for all of eternity with you to worship and to give glory to your holy and precious name. Now, Lord, we come to be reminded of your word, to make it a part of who we are, to allow it to change us and redirect us and refine us. Lord, I pray as we speak to the issue of possessions, Lord, it's hard to hear a message like this. We love our stuff. I love my stuff. And so, Lord, I pray that we would open our hearts, that, Lord, we wouldn't look at our neighbor and say, well, they got more than I do that we would look to our own and ask, what do you require of me, Jesus, today? What are you asking of me? You've given me all of this. Now what do you want me to do with it? Lord, I pray that we would do that as individuals. Lord, I pray we would do this as a church so that your name would be gloried, so that your name would be lifted up. And so, Lord, we would find that righteousness and the kingdom and the treasure that you speak of. 
We long for that treasure, that treasure that will not spoil or perish. We look to your word to find it now. In Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. In this world of technology, with things like MapQuest and GPS and and in-car navigation, it's hard to remember what it was like to be driving and find yourself lost. The frustration and the, the anger that would come, that sinking feeling that you knew you were driving around in circles, that you had seen that tree before, you didn't know what direction you were heading in, and time was being lost because you yourself were lost. It was in those moments that a flood of emotions would overtake us. We would become frustrated. Our anger would boil over because we had picked up that stupid map that didn't have any of the streets that we were looking for. Whether it was outdated or just the map makers had messed up, whatever you were looking for wasn't on the map. Fear would come over many of us as we found ourselves in unsafe areas, conducive to all types of trouble. And then, who can forget, if you were married that it wasn't just frustration and fear, but inevitably a fight would break out with you and your spouse. Your wife telling you, I told you so. And then the words that you never wanted to hear, why don't you stop and ask for directions? Being lost is not fun. It's there that we feel like failures. It is there that we feel like giving up. And because of our pride, few of us ever seek out the help to get us where we need to be. And as a result of that, it takes us far longer to get to the place that we're wanting to be. Now, while being lost in our travels can cause for headaches, nothing compares to being lost in our journey as stewards when it comes to our things. Because when we are lost, when it comes to the things of this world and how we use them and how tightly we hold on to them, um, headaches don't come, but heartache does. And there are some in our midst that have held on to things so tightly. And I can say there have been things in my life that I've held on to so tightly that when I've lost them, my heart has been broken. And Jesus says to us, I don't want you to worry about that stuff. That stuff's gonna be here today and it's gonna be gone tomorrow. The things I want you to worry about, the things that I want you to hold with a closed fist are my righteousness and my kingdom and your relationship with me. Oh, how lost we are when it comes to the things that are in our possessions. We see this from so many different angles. From an international level, we see nation after nation failing and faltering with their economies. As a country here, a leader in the world, we see the United States government having growing deficits leading to greater debt. We see it as families here in America, as as to the fact that the average debt on a credit card for the household in America is over $16,000. That adds up, if we add all the families together, on our credit cards alone, $2.3 trillion. We're lost. We've got a problem. But it affects us as Christians as well. We're not immune to this. We can't uh, look down our proverbial noses at, at the world and say, you guys have blown it and you're completely lost. Because if there was anybody that would have it put together, it would be us as Christians. But studies tell us that in the average evangelical Christian, 
they only give 2% of their income to their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, I, I know there's a lot of debate on whether it should be 10% or, uh, or it's a free gift. Let me tell you something. If we speak about loving Jesus as much as we do, I would think 2% would be a pretty lame way of showing it. It affects us as a church here at Village Bible Church. Now, I'm happy to tell you that we exceed the national average. In fact, we double that. But we pride ourselves on how much we love and how important our life with Jesus is. And is 4% or 5% of all that we have a tangible, a realistic number to show our Savior that we love him and that we're willing to give up all that we have? Yet amidst all of this, all of these studies, all of these statistics, one thing that rings true through all of them is the possessions that we have continue to grow. Our cars are newer, our houses are bigger, and our visits to buy the new toy or new thing become all the more frequent. It is within our money, it is within the concept of our money and within the confines of the things that we have that as Christians we see ourselves so far departed from the teaching of Jesus. And so what happens is, is there's a war going on, the teachings of Jesus and the ways of this world. And as we go to the ways of this world, as we make those decisions because of what we see on the television or what we see in the ads and keeping up with the Joneses, we buy into the adage of he with the most toys wins. We find ourselves being lost all the more. But Jesus in his grace doesn't desire for us to be lost. He doesn't desire for us to be lost in our sins, so he came to die for us. He doesn't want us to be lost when it comes to our money and things, so he teaches us through verses like Matthew 6, 19 through 34. It is in these things that we find the real answer, where we find our way home. Now, for some of you, you may say, Tim, I'm already offended. I hate when preachers talk about money. Well, I got a couple words to offer to you. Number one, I want you to understand that this is not something we talk about very much. To our shame. I want you to look back on the website and see how many sermons I've preached. They're all there. How many of them have had any thought or word regarding money? We just don't talk about it very much. Second, I want you to know I don't apologize to anyone when it comes to preaching on giving. Jesus talked about it a lot. And we have been called as preachers to not only encourage people through the words of Scripture, but I might add we are called to even demand that all Christians live radical lives of obedience to Christ, and we should never be apologetic about it. Next, if you're offended, you're at the wrong place. We don't even pass an offering plate. We just say, you know what, there's boxes in the back. Give as you will between you and the Lord. And finally, or fourthly, I need to be challenged in giving. And so if you don't want to listen to it, that's all right. Because I know my flesh. When I open the Sunday morning paper and I look at all those gadgets and I look at all those new things and I feel that impulse of, wow, how different my life would be if I had that. When I see someone with a new item and the jealousy that comes out, the coveting that takes place, I, as your preacher, need to preach to myself this morning because I yearn for the things of this world more than I yearn for my Savior. So if you find yourself rolling your eyes because a church is talking about money, 
Here's my advice to you. Take it up with my supervisor. His name is Jesus. And he's ready to take your call at any time. So let's get into this. Now with all of that out of the way, how are we to find the real treasure that Jesus has? Because let me tell you something. The treasure isn't found in the things that we have. It's not in the car that you have parked out in the church parking lot. It's not the home that everybody awes and, and gawks at. But the true treasure is found in a life that follows Jesus. Let's look at it very quickly this morning. The first thing that we need to know, the first thing that we need to be able to do, if we're going to find that real treasure, it begins by exploring the prevailing thoughts regarding our things. Our world is full of advertisements. It has much to say regarding the things that we need to have. Think about how quick your favorite TV show or that ball game would go if we didn't have advertisements. Advertisements are the things that say to us, you need me. And with all kinds of marketing, with all kinds of effort, different companies are trying to tell you that you need what they're selling. And as a result of that, we are bombarded with this barrage of a desire for new things. Look how cool you'll be with this certain item. Look at how the world will look at you differently as a result of the new product that we want to sell you. In light of this barrage of ads and enticements for the accumulation of more stuff, we would look to Christians to try to set ourselves straight. But here's the problem. When we look to Christian teaching on the issue of things, we usually find two extremes. The first one is poverty, the extreme of poverty. This imbalanced view teaches that as believers, we should have a disdain for possessions. Some even who hold this position would say that it is wrong to have excess money and things. That to worry about things like retirement, to even having a home or a vehicle, is something that is sinful. The problem with that is it's foreign to Scripture. The Bible makes it abundantly clear that while we are to be wise and even in some ways frugal with our things, <clears throat> nowhere in Scripture are we ever seeing a reprimand for someone being rich. In fact, some of the greatest men and women who obeyed God and did great things for God were people of great wealth. And so we need to be careful not to look at our possessions and think that we're sinning because we have them. We need to understand that it's not the amount that you have, but it is what you do with your possessions that counts. The next extreme is that of prosperity. And it goes the opposite direction. And you'll see it on TV all the time where a pastor in a thousand or two thousand dollar suit will get up and he'll talk about his Rolls Royce, he'll talk about his Bentley, he'll talk about his multi-million dollar house and right when you want to ask him why would a pastor have that kind of stuff, why would a Christian invest so much in this world, he'll tell you because by faith God has given it to him and because he deserves it because he's been obedient. Again, this is completely wrong that God would give prosperity as a reward for righteousness we don't see that in scripture the cause and effect relationship implies that if God is happy with you you will be rich and if God's not happy with you then you will be poor it is here that we're reminded once again of the saints of old in Hebrews chapter 11 where the scripture says they were great men and women of faith. And yet the end of Hebrews 11 says they had no homes. 
They roamed about like transients. And even our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ said he had no place to lay his head. When it came time to pay the taxes to Caesar, he told one of his disciples to go get a fish. And in it he found two coins. It is because these two extremes that we need teaching that speaks of our things properly. Properly. The proper way to view our possessions this morning, brothers and sisters, is that our things are a trust given by God that we are responsible to manage. Everything belongs to God. Everything. The clothes on your back, the car that you drive, the things in your garage, your house, your children, your spouse, your church, everything, your job, you name it. Whatever you can put your hands on, it's God's. Remember, every square inch of this creation is his. And so what God wants us to do is be stewards. He doesn't want to take them away from us. He's given them to us for our good. But what he's called us to is to give liberally back to the Lord, to give to those in need, to not put our hope in those things, and to know and recognize that whether we live in times of plenty or in want, that our only need, our only need in this world is Jesus. And if we have anything more than Jesus, then we're living in excess. And God has been far more gracious than he ever would have had to be. That is a proper view of our things. So Jesus gets into it here in Matthew chapter 6. And what he wants to do is bring us to the heart of the matter. And he does that by employing two persuasive tests that reveal our thoughts. In Matthew 6, we find Jesus on the side of a mountain preaching his famous sermon on the mount, one of the longest recorded discourses that Jesus gives. In it, he addresses many topics regarding life, how to treat others, how to forgive, how to handle lust and worry, teaching the do's and don'ts when it comes to prayer and many other things. A very practical sermon. I might add that many believe that it was a sermon that probably went for three to four hours. So if you struggle with my preaching, you ain't seen nothing yet. But in chapter 6, Jesus comes to the subject of money. And I wonder if there was a hush in the crowd. What's this new rabbi going to say about money? The things he has said about everything else seem to hit it right on the head. What is he going to say about money? Because I bet you back in the day, money was just as important as it is today. And Jesus steps up to the mic and he hits the subject head on. With the overarching question, where is your treasure? Do you know that same question will transform who we are today by asking and answering that question? Where is your treasure? Where do you find your heart being led to? What are the things that you find yourself worried about? What are the things that you find yourself concerned about? What are the things that you most look forward to engaging in? It is there that we find our treasure. And the problem is that in a setting like this, when the question is asked, where is your treasure? It's easy to say, Jesus. It's easy for us to say that. But where is that when we yearn for the new car, where we yearn for the bigger house, where we yearn for the new clothes? Where is Jesus? Where are we able to say that we're content in all things, as Paul did? You see, Jesus has a problem with us putting our trust 
and our heart in the treasures of this world. And he does so, look at verses 19 and 20, by doing a couple tests. The first one is, is he says, if you're going to do this, you're going to find yourself lost because of the information that is based on the durability test or the test of durability. Notice what he says in verses 19 and 20. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There is nothing worse in this world than you buying something with the thought that it's going to last you for a long time, and a week into what you've just bought, it breaks. It's not durable. I had that happen to a new pair of shoes. I bought a wonderful pair of shoes, and I was so excited about the shoes. I wear size 15 shoes, so it's not easy to find shoes. And I remember finding these wonderful shoes, nice leather shoes, and the first day at church that I wore it, I began to feel as I stepped with my right foot, there was a flap and a slap. (laughs) And I was mad. The whole soul had come off from under it. And so every time I was like a clown, you know, just clapping every time I walked. And there was nothing more frustrating than that. When we buy something and it doesn't last. Jesus is reminding us, That when we purchase things, when we put our trust in things to do the durability test. And the durability test is don't pursue and put your heart in things that aren't durable. And notice what he means by durability. Can they be destroyed? Notice he says clothes. In Christ's day, clothes were it. If you wanted to prove your riches, you started by wearing the right stuff. How true is that still today? We dress for success. We dress looking good. It's not good enough for us just to have clothes, but we need, if we're wearing athletic apparel, that nice little swoosh called Nike. Or we need to wear the shoes that the basketball player has. Or the wonderful uh, Hollywood starlet has promoted in her new line. Clothing is important to us. And we spend hundreds of dollars on these things. And Jesus says, hey, Why would you invest in something that something as small as a moth can destroy? Have you ever thought about that? A little moth will eat away at your riches if you invest it in clothes. Notice he goes on to the issue of decay. And he says, hey, be careful you don't invest in things that you don't put your hope in things that will rust. Metal back in Jesus' day was the in thing. No longer were they just using wood and cloth and and, and stone. They were starting to use and fabricate metal. And it was becoming the in thing at that point. And Jesus says, as great as metal is, it's more durable than even clothes or wood. But it too has an Achilles heel. It can rust. And that just reminds me of the vehicles that we have in our possession. How true is it? I don't know what the number is, but it says, statistics tell us, the moment you drive a brand new car off of the lot, it drops in depreciation, I want to say at least up to a quarter of its value. Talk about rust. Talk about decay. I mean, next time you want to buy a new car and want to give it to a, something that won't, give it to me. 
Give me 25% of it. I'll, I'll use it for something better than that. That's where I start offending people. So moths come and they eat our clothes. Oxidation comes and it runs its course. But what about things that can disappear? Jesus says, hey, maybe your, your thing won't have moths take it away or, or decay to eat it away. What about thieves? Can you keep it from thieves? If you're putting your hope and trust in the things of this world, you may not have them be eaten away, but you may have them taken away. And so the things that are not durable are the following. Your house, your cars, your clothes, your computer, your TVs, your toys, you name it. If it doesn't have a heartbeat and it's not the word of God, it will be destroyed. It's going to be gone. And so for all of us who are making our houses look beautiful and investing all of this time and effort into it, 2 Peter 3.10 says at one point in the future it's going to burn like everything else. It's going to be gone. Jesus then moves to the test of devotion. He moves to the test of devotion. He says, all right, I've taught you the durability test, now give me the devotion test. And he says the following, for where your treasure is, verse 21, there your heart will be also. In verse 24, he says, no one can serve two masters. Either he's going to love uh, the one and hate the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money at the same time. You just can't do it. And so the question we have to ask when it comes to our devotion is, first of all, there's an assurance that Jesus gives to certain facts. Number one, you can't play both parts. And so if you're driven by your things, you're driven by your money, your joy comes from you putting on that new outfit, your joy comes and your status comes by driving the new vehicle or, or, or in uh, the house that you own, in the neighborhood that you live in, if that's where you have it, you're serving that. You're not serving God. And you say, Tim, that's a harsh reality. We'll talk with Jesus about that. Jesus says you can't serve me in money. You can't serve me in things because we are going two diametrically opposing ways. It's not going to happen. It's not going to work. Notice he brings up the issue of affection. Which do you love more? Where do you find yourself most happy? Where do you find the most joy? I might add this, that we pursue the things of this world because we lack the joy that is found in Jesus. Jesus is in our joy. He is in our hope. And so we hope and we put our trust that other things in this world will bring us joy. I was given, I've got to move quickly here, but I was given uh, this iPad as a gift. And I was up at my in-laws and through a course of events of family activities, this iPad uh, fell on uh, a black uh, blacktop asphalt and, and it broke. And a good pastor, you would think I would say, you know what? You get and it's taken away. Can I tell you that that weekend I was so angry? I snapped at my kids. I snapped at my wife. And Jesus said to me in the quietness of, of a room after being a jerk to my in-laws because of the loss of something as temporary as an iPad. Jesus says, you love that more than you love them. Shame on you. You want to know if you love things more than the important things in this world? Let it break. Go without it. And see how tightly you hold on to things. Finally, there's the attention. 
What master do you listen to? Who are you following? When the ad comes on the TV, what's your natural response? Is it gotta have it? Or is it let's check with God? Far too many times we're unable to hear God because the voice of our things are calling. There are some in our midst, and I, I don't want to point it out, but it is is so crucial. One, one individual who is who comes just very periodically will say this, we're, we're going to be back now because we don't have to be at our summer place. We'll be back at church now. And I said, well, you going to church there? That's the important thing. There's no real good churches like Village out there, so we don't go. That's a problem. That's a problem when our attention for the things gets more attention than God. Sadly, many of us fail at this test. And they remind us that we love our master and we work to strive to please them. And the the master is our stuff. The master is our things. So where do we find hope? I've got to move quickly here. We have to enter the pathway to real treasure. We have to enter the pathway to real treasure. How do we get there? We get there, first of all, by stopping our pitiful preoccupations. Stopping our pitiful preoccupations. Jesus, in verses 25 through 31, speaks over and over again on the subject of worry. The things that we're worried about are not the things of eternal value. They're worrying about things of temporal value. What we will eat, what we will drink, what we will wear. Think about if you were to lose your job. What are the things that you would be most worried about? Losing your house, losing your car, losing your things. I would do the same thing, and the reason why is because I'm so caught up with the things of this world. Instead of even asking, is the Lord doing that to teach me some great and valuable lesson on reliance on Him? No, I'm too busy saying, no, we got to make sure that we have everything. And so we hoard and we keep and we, and we make sure we have when we do not need. We worry about that which is earthly. And Jesus says, you don't have to worry about that. It involves setting prior, proper priorities. Verse 32. For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. We need to set our minds differently than that of the world. And here are some practical ways. Number one, watch out for the subtle seduction of the lust of the eyes. You say, Tim, I don't deal with lust. We all deal with wanting something new. And for one, it may be a car. For another, it may be a new sewing machine, a trip. And we see those things and they're advertised and they come to our attention and we say, we gotta have that. I gotta have it. I'm gonna die without it. Second, how much do you pray before you purchase? We're too busy looking at the reviews making sure that they're going to be durable. We never pray and ask the Lord, is this a wise purchase? Number three, ask the question, will this enable me to do more ministry or less ministry? And I don't just mean in the church, but ministry for Christ. Number four, is it within the confines of a well-defined budget? You shouldn't be sending a penny until you know what you're making, until you know what everything costs. Because if you don't, you're going to find yourself in bondage. And then before you purchase, is this purchase robbing God of what is due him when it comes to the offering that is to be given? Now, there's one practical piece of advice that I give. 
And that's the following. Some question, you say, Tim, this is a recession. We're struggling. We don't have money. And yeah, I would love to do that. But I fall farther and farther behind. Then be the wise steward and talk with one of the pastors and let's get you involved in some crown ministries or some Dave Ramsey classes so that you can start turning these things around. Be the wise steward. Choke the desire for the accumulation of things and start asking God, how can I begin to do it? It involves seeking personal purity. Notice verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. The thing we need to understand is when we're seeking God's kingdom, we're going to have a proper view of things. We're going to have a proper understanding of that which we need and that which we want. Now here's the thing. It's not my job to tell you the things that you need and the things that you want. My job is to, to bring before all of us that we need to seek the kingdom of God first. And when we seek that kingdom, then God will make himself apparent in what he wants us to do. I like what John Stott says to this. We cannot maintain a life of extravagance and a good conscience simultaneously. One or the other has to be sacrificed. Either we keep our conscience and reduce our affluence by giving generously and helping those in need, or we keep our affluence and smother our conscience. We have to choose between God and money. The final thing is, is when we give our lives over to God, and we begin to say, God, this is your money, this is your house, this is your car, this is all yours, it is then and only then that we can live carefree, that we can live worry-free, that we can find true contentment and joy in life. Notice what he says. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. All the things you're worrying about, whether you'll eat or drink, where you'll live, uh, what you'll be able to drive, God knows you need these things. He knows you need them. He knows you've got to get to work. He knows you need a vehicle. But it may not be the vehicle that you want. And are you okay with that? God says, I will prosper you. But God's prosperity is different than American Western prosperity. It's about needs. That, the individual who has all that he needs, prospers. We think prosperity is having the abundance of things. It is not. And so what Jesus is telling us here in closing, when we focus in on God and his righteousness, we don't have to worry about the rust. We don't have to worry about the moths. We don't even have to worry about thieves. They can have it all because our hope and our joy is found in the inheritance that is found in Jesus Christ that Peter says in his first epistle that will neither rust or spoil, but an inheritance that is waiting for us in glory that is greater than any of the fine metals or precious gems that this world has. So get control of our treasures. And the way we get control of our treasures is by opening the hands and giving them back to the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. Father, I know this is a tough message. I know there's so much more in the text that could have come out. But Lord, we have come to know that our hearts are deceitfully sick. I don't know, Lord, why I want that stuff. Lord, I don't know why when I see a big TV, I yearn for it. 
I don't know why when I see that new car with all its bells and whistles that every part of me desires for it. And I don't know why I'm not content with the house that I live in. Lord, I don't know why I'm this way, but you do. And so I find myself lost. And Lord, if I am honest with myself, I'm not the only one. We're lost, Lord. We need you to lead us to the great treasure. The great treasure of stewardship. Of you giving us these things for our joy. So that we can release it. Lord, if we were just to change our ways, the changes that will happen in the world around us. Lord, if you would change what's in my heart, if you would let me free up some things, maybe I might be able to give more to this local ministry. Instead of seeing a glaring deficit each and every week for you and your kingdom. But Lord, I know this week I went out and bought things without a thought of what you might say. Lord, you have given us great riches. Even the poorest among us is rich in the, in the world's value system. And so what you've given in plenty, you will require plenty more. Lord, I pray that we would live up to that. Lord, I pray we'd be the wise stewards that you've called us to be. So that as we give back, we will know that it is better to give than to receive. Lord, let that resonate in our heart. Now, Lord, we're going to leave here, and we are going to be told we need more. Let us, by the power and the grace of the Holy Spirit, not just say we don't need anything, but that we would put all of it under the will and the Word of God, because that alone is what lasts forever. We love you, and we thank you, Jesus. And we give this to you in Christ's name we pray. Amen.